these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is at hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <coughs> the liturgical year doesn't really end. It simply begins again. Thus we have crossed the threshold of Advent. And as we do this, two mysteries present themselves to us. The first mystery, the ending of all things. Schuster has this interesting note. He tells us that the original place of the Dies Irae is at today's Mass. When the Dies Irae, which we now sing at the Requiem Mass, when it was first composed, it was used as a sequence today. Quote, in connection with the gospel describing the end of the world and the universal judgment. We can see why, is what some English translation that might be in your missile. Quote, day of wrath and doom impending, David's words with Sibyl's blending, heaven and earth in ashes ending. Death is struck and nature quaking, all creation is awaking to its judge and answer making. Now liturgical purists sometimes like to criticize the Dies Irae because it's relatively late in its composition, because it's somewhat bombastic in its style because of that, and because of its exaggerated, so they say, presentation of its theme. But if we compare the Dies Irae with the gospel we heard today, it seems to match rather well, actually. And so maybe that's my first point this morning, is I submit that we miss something of the nature of Advent without understanding the Dies Irae, this beautiful hymn, belongs there in a certain sense. See for yourselves, go to your, those of you who are equipped with, with altar missiles, before the end of the day, Look it up, and you'll find it on the 2nd of November or in the back with the, the Requiem Masses. And pray that poem and see if it doesn't fit with today. But be that as it may, if that's true, if we have the Gospel and the Epistle and Dies Irae giving us these images and presenting, with us, presenting us with the truth of the end of all things in very vivid language, This mystery, this first mystery of Advent, does not leave the Catholic Christian dumbfounded and defeated. Our Lord commands us in the Gospel, the text I used for the beginning of the homily, quote, when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is at hand. Notice what our Lord does not say. He doesn't say, go hide. He doesn't say, go find a place to hunker down while this happens and, you know, wait for the bad thing. No. Lift up your heads because your redemption is at hand. And this is exactly what we did in the introit. Ad te levavi animam meam. To you I have lifted up my soul. And if we missed it the first time, we're going to get Psalm 24 two more times throughout the Mass. This lifting up, this elevating of the soul to God in light of the end of all things. 
Th thus, Advent is our rehearsal and preparation for that day, dies illa, the day when all things will be consummated. And by the way, that little phrase, dies illa, I think occurs two or three times in the office for today, in the antiphons. That day. But judgment and the ending of all things, as we learn in the gospel, equals redemption. That's why we can lift up our heads. The ending of all things doesn't mean, as I said earlier, defeat and destruction for the Catholic Christian. Judgment equals redemption. But what gives us the courage to do this? What, <coughs> nevertheless, even if that's true, it is still a frightful and intimidating mystery for our weakness. What gives us the courage to do this? What gives us the courage to lift up our heads? The second mystery of Advent, Our Lady. Every hour her light shines upon us and upon the liturgical year that we keep. But at no other time like this time does she shine upon us. Think of Advent, think of the Rorate Mass, the, the Golden Mass, the Advent Embertide Masses. In the Divine Office, we will incessantly be echoing her praise throughout this entire season. And then finally, there's the Immaculate Conception. This year, the Novena and the Octave, if you take those days together, we're in the Novena of the Immaculate Conception now, if you take the Novena of preparation for the feast, and if you take the eight days afterwards, this occupies 16 of the 24 days of Advent, give or take, depending on the year. Thus, the Immaculate Conception is set like a diamond in the midst of Advent. That's what I picture that feast as being, like a, like a jewel fixed in its setting. Thus, the feast of the Immaculate Conception radiating all over this season. Taking inspiration from the refectory article we had written by the servant of God, Frank Duff. I went to the last chapter of the Second Vatican Council's decree on the Church to see what exactly it said about Our Lady. I remember at the beginning of the article he mentioned, <coughs> he mentioned that. So I, seminary's been a little while, I couldn't remember quite what I would find there, so I went there and I found phrases like this, describing Our Lady. Quote, She is hailed as preeminent and a wholly unique member of the Church. Quote, She who occupies a place in the Church which is highest after Christ and closest to us. Quote, She is the mother to us in the order of grace. Quote, She is invoked in the Church under the titles Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, Mediatrix. Quote, not merely as passively engaged by God, but she freely cooperates in the work of man's salvation. If that isn't a mediatrix of all graces, I don't know what is. But, but there it is. This is what we find, again, maybe you might say enshrined, set in the documents of the most recent ecumenical council. 
This is the woman. This is a portrait of the woman, Advent's second mystery, who stands waiting for us as we enter this liturgical season. As we encounter the first mystery of Advent, with its heavenly signs and the, the tumult of the sea and the ash and cinders of human history and the trumpets of angels and the distress of nations, and etc., etc., as we encounter that mystery, at the very same moment, we encounter the mystery of Our Lady. Advent tells us that these two mysteries belong together. And if that's true, you ought to think of those, those patina photos we've seen of the crowds of people at Fatima on that October day in 1917 as they looked up at the miracle of the sun, which in a sense is a kind of prefigurement of what I'm trying to say, a prefigurement of the Advent mystery. So we see that Advent tells us in a very eloquent way that the very judge who is on his way, who is on his way to, to kick down the doors of human history and set everything right, the judge who we find so vividly portrayed in the Dies Irae and in the Gospel today, this very judge gives us his mother and thereby makes it easy to fulfill his own command to lift up our heads at his advent. How we love advent. One concluding thought. If the end of all things, if if that, if that first mystery of Advent seems remote, if it seems far away, or somehow disconnected from us, then we do well to think of that day, illa die, on which our personal life in this world will end. The day we will die. After all, we each have a particular judgment to undergo, which in itself can be a tremendous thing to think of. But how encouraging to think that as our bodies are being prepared by the church to be buried, as we are in church, please God, and the church will gather around to sing a hymn for us. The church will gather to sing the Dies Irae. A hymn about judgment and the world's end, yes. But a hymn about this season, about this season that is both majestic and tender. In a sense, when the church performs its last offices for us, when our body is committed to the earth, and at the moment we undergo our judgment, the church will be singing a hymn for us, an Advent hymn. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of 